All right, guys. Hey, thanks for joining me. This is Brendan. We've got a very special episode of Full Metal RPG coming up for you today. It's a little bit of a bonus episode while we're getting our scheduling back on track so we can create the on-week, off-week, on-week, off-week. Anyway, this episode was recorded at Leprechaun 42, uh, Leprechaun 2016. Here's some of our adventures that we had there. We hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening, guys. Have a good night. Welcome to another episode of Full Metal RPG. I'm your host, Brendan, and I am joined by Amanda. Hello. And we're sitting here at the lovely Leprechaun 42. That is Leprechaun, not Leprechaun, <laughs> Leprechaun 42 uh, in Phoenix, Arizona, enjoying a beautiful day of convention going. And we are joined by the elusive... Heather, the girlfriend. <laughs> Am I elusive? Well, you've never been on the show before, so really so clearly you're elusive. Just, re- just just go with it. Be elusive. Yeah, so welcome, Heather. Thank you, Brendan. Thank you so much for this opportunity. Oh, it's yeah. Good well, to have another girl on the show. <laughs> <laughs> we're, so we're sitting here, and we're kind of like, this is, our, this is the very first table that we've ever done for Full Metal RPG at a con, or really anywhere now that I think about it. And so you might hear some ambient con noise in the background, and that's that's the sound of geeks and nerds having fun and enjoying the stuff that they that they love, like um, Star Trek, for instance, which is apparently a theme at this one. There's like yeah. a lot of Star Trek going on around here. Um, so, girls, how you been? First of all, what's new? Good, good gaming. What you been up, what you been up to with gaming, Amanda? You 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 haven't been on in a little bit. What's what you been playing? Um. Well. I kind of got sucked back into WoW. Oh, <laughs> shame, Amanda. We're all very ashamed right now. I, I have a panda mage because I love the pandas. A oh, panda yeah. mage? Pandas. And they're so cute. All right. If anything is going to, you know. Well, so after I quit the first time, it was the pandas that sucked me back in. Uh-huh. <laughs> and now there's a, a new expansion coming out. My husband's like, we're playing it. I'm like, oh. Okay. He's like, I already bought it for you. I'm like, <laughs> I guess I'm playing WoW again. Wow. That's sort of like your husband being like, babe, remember when we used to do crack? How much fun <laughs> we had? Like, let's just like. Get I'll a, bought you some. I just bought you a pipe and a big old fat rock. That's all. Now we're just going to have the good times roll. I mean, something that's like beware Romulans bearing gifts. Ow. Star Trek reference. Anyway. <laughs> ten points. Ten points. Um. What else have you been doing besides WoW? Uh, Diablo. <laughs> all right, all right. So you've been online mostly. Yeah, yeah, I'm I, online. Although I heard I heard somebody was trying to uh, to uh, seduce you into a fifth E game. Oh, there may be a D and D game going on, possibly. Once and this all links back into the WoW also. Oh really? But I, I feel like there's say, a story here. I have to say though that this time I might actually stay with it if the group we're with. 
continues to play because it's people we know in real life. What do you mean, WoW or D&D? Okay, okay. D&D, you know them in real life. It would be weird, actually. I've never played an online game where you don't meet your players. Right. That'd be odd. It'd be easier to kill them. (laughs) People (laughs) people seem to do it in form-lasting groups doing it. I've never done it myself. It just seems to take forever, though, the the ones I've heard of. You know, it's like... The emailing and I guess well, that would be on instant messenger. Yeah, people use people do Skype. Uh, there's a lot of oh, Skype, Skype games yeah. and like Google Hangouts. I'm uh, not a Skype fan. We're using Skype for WoW right now. I'm just, mm-hmm. just not a fan. I so how, how click all these buttons and I still can't call anyone. <laughs> how did how did uh, playing WoW translate into playing D and D again? Um, my husband has some coworkers, which is part of the reason he wanted to start playing again. That are playing. And some of them actually play D and D. Oh, cool! It was, it was brought up. I was like, hmm, maybe, maybe. I'm, I'm missing, I'm missing the playing. Yeah, yeah. And go ahead, go ahead. I was gonna say, there's also some uh, a board game coming out. I'm excited about. <laughs> What's that? Mystic Veil. That sounds really cool. What is it about? It's a deck builder. Oh, okay. But it's kind of like Gloom, where you don't add cards to your deck. You add to the cards that are already in your deck. So your deck doesn't actually get bigger, but the cards in it do more things. Oh, okay. So it's got the cards that you add to them are clear, except for oh, one is okay, added on okay. there's three slots per card. I see, I see. Yeah, kind of like like Hecatomb. Remember Hecatomb? Yeah, I remember Hecatomb. Yeah. I liked Hecatomb. Dude, I liked Hecatomb <laughs> a lot, too. Remember who ruined Hecatomb? No, was it bad? Greg. Oh, Greg. <laughs> Greg <laughs> Carey, if you're listening to this, among the many games you ruined was Hecatomb. I don't remember. How did you ruin Hecatomb? Because you and I were playing it, and we were having a good time with it. We are like, hey, this is cool, and we were both kind of like, you know, I'll buy a pack, like, once a week. And he was like, I just bought two boxes. <laughs> <laughs> and then he built, like, you know, a Greg deck. And we played against him. He's like, he's like, bap, 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 bap. And we're it was like, a, it's a build. All of Greg's things build. were yeah. builds. Everything. Builds. Even just D&D characters. They were builds. Builds. Yeah. Ah, uh, yes. Um, how about you, Heather? What are you up to in terms of gaming? I have been playing video games. You have also been playing video games. Yes. D- tell us more. The ones that I'm playing right now? Yeah, what are you playing? Well, I'm playing a game called Soma right now. And what's that like? You've seen me play it before. It is yeah, but nobody at home has, so why don't you tell us about it? It is a science fiction horror game. Okay. About transhumanism. And it's really scary, and it's also really sad. And um, it's about a guy who gets his brain scanned because he's in a car accident. And there's, like, blood in his brain. They have to, like, scan it to make sure he's not, like, dying. And mm-hmm. then... After it's a scan, he like it's like an automatic wake up in like a alien kind of uh, bunch of like weird you know hallways. Like a weird environment, yeah, kind like of like space, like a space station spaceship. looking thing. But it's not a spaceship; it's an underwater uh, mining facility, and there's a bunch of robots there that have people copy their minds into them, and it's like him trying to escape from them because they're all some want to kill him and some want to help him, but mostly they're like psychotic. Okay, well that sounds. I mean that sounds bleak. No, it's really good and also really bleak. But yeah, like, it makes you have existential crises. Because because the question is is like is it real or not, right? Or I is it definitely well real? It's real, but like the question, is, I'm not really sure what the question is yet. It's kind of like like is like AI moral? I think moral. Or like is it? Yeah, because like the 
the, like the, all the robots he sees are like super messed up. Oh, okay. They have like it's like it's, it's it's like a moral question and like existential question of like should we be doing this kind of thing? Oh, okay. Well, that sounds fine. What yeah. what platform are you playing on? PlayStation Four. <laughs> that is a salient question that a person who knows about video games would know to ask. So thank you, thank you, Amanda. And I'm also playing Little Big Planet, but that's I'm a PlayStation girl. I like PlayStation. Me too. I, don't, I like it better than Xbox and better than PCs. It's just PlayStation for me. I don't like way. Xbox. I will never like <laughs> Xbox. Me too. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, you know, that means nothing to me, but fair enough. <laughs> well, uh, see, Xbox, the first Xbox, those controllers were not female-friendly. Why not female-friendly? Yeah, they, really they were freaking huge. Really? Oh, my God. Yeah, they were made for man hands. Really? Yeah. My hands would cramp after playing for two hours. My hands would cramp. I could not play. I was just like, fuck This me. is really interesting. Not I've never heard this criticism. Friendly. I've never heard this criticism. Shame on you, Xbox. PlayStation yes. has like the nice small ones so it can fit any hand type. I really like the PlayStation That's ones. That's because Japanese girls play games. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, so, nope. Don't well, like Xbox. So, um, <laughs> let's see. Uh, new games that I am exploring. Hmm. <laughs> Um, I recently just split a starter box of Age of Sigmar with Ben Mandel. And this is much to the chagrin of um, Ben and Dustin and some of the other FMRPG fuckers like uh, like the mysterious <laughs> Jeff. The mysterious Jeff has like forsworn Age of Sigmar. He like Why? won't he won't touch it. Yeah, uh, you know he's got his reasons, and he and, and, and some of his reasons are pretty good because it's a Games Workshop game, and Games Workshop's known for its fuckery lately. And when I say lately, I mean like the last twenty plus years or whatever. And so I mean I take his point, but um, after playing like a ton of Infinity and just like really being all wrapped up in this like in really super intense like sci-fi like uh, uh, rule set, I was looking for something that's like a little more simple and. Um, and fantasy. I wanted a fantasy game, and I wanted something that was simple. And I also wanted something mass battles because Infinity skirmish. And so I was really kind of—I had that this hankering. I was like, oh man, I want a big army, and I want—I want like guys with swords and shit like that. So I was looking at this game called Wrath of Kings. Well, first I was looking at Age of Sigmar, and I was like, no one's gonna play this game with me. I like the new models, though. Dude, they're so gorgeous. They are. I was—I was, I was kind of drooling over the what I don't know what they're calling them in this one, but the. With the big dinosaurs? With the, the, the Lizardmen guys? Yeah, the Lizardmen guys. Yeah, they're Lizardmen still. The they're still called Lizardmen? Yeah, I think they're called Sephiron or something like yeah, that. Some, they're so pretty. <laughs> yeah, no, they're great. They're really great, right? And, I, and I, I always felt sad about my Nurgle force that I got rid of, my 40k Death Guard army. And so well, Age of Sigmar definitely has some stuff going on in it that I think, despite its very simplified rule set and the ambiguity of a lot of the rules where it's people are like well what does this mean and like for instance for instance there's not an army building mechanic built in the rule set it's basically like they're just like just show up with some models and play with them and <laughs> and that doesn't really work you know i mean i don't know what your models do i don't you don't know what my models do how do we know this is fair how do we know this is going to be fun so there's a lot of like um fan made hacks that are designed to make it so you can build army lists and stuff like that. And then this summer they're coming out with a book called like the General's Compendium or the General's Handbook or something that's going to have 
here's how you actually build an army list for like balanced play. And I think that that will improve the game because it will give you at least some direction rather than just people showing up with like, oh, here's my all monstrous creatures list. Just deal with it. You see <laughs> what I'm saying? Um, in the meantime, because of the way that they changed the way armies work, I can rebuild my Nurgle force as the Nurgle force that I always wanted, which is an equal balance of chaos warriors with Nurgle marks and demons of Nurgle. And I, there's just something about the simplicity of that that I'm just it just makes me kind of weep. And they, they have these new these, these new models that just came out. Well, they're so just, pretty. And they're called Blight Kings, and they're um they're like these big fat corpulent like decaying Nurgle guys. And, just gorgeous. They're a little pricey, but um, so that's the new game that I'm getting into. So uh, I have some um, corn guys because I split the box with Ben Mandel. Ben Mandel was like, like I said, I was, I was to say, I was getting, I was, I was getting ready to go and get into Wrath of Kings because nobody around me was into Age of Sigmar. I figured might as well just do Wrath of Kings because Wrath of Kings is by 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 the way, listeners, very high quality models. They look really good. But uh, they're like in very inexpensive. They're very inexpensive, and I was like, "Well, I mean, it's not. It doesn't really cost any money anyway. So I, if I'm the only guy playing the game, then it doesn't really matter." But then Ben said that he would play um, Age of Sigmar with me, so we split a box. And he took the Stormcast Eternals, and I took the Corn Guys. And I really don't give a shit about Corn Guys. I'll use them to learn how to play the game, but then I'll just put them up on a shelf somewhere until somebody needs some Corn models or something, you know, to get started. Um. So yeah, that's what I'm doing. That's what's new with me. That's the haps. You were asking me this morning what like a, a gut splot sploom or whatever gut rot sploom is, and that's yeah. what, that's what gut gut rot sploom is. Is he's a he's a Nurgle character? No, he's not a Skylander. <laughs> Your mom's a Skylander. <laughs> um. <clears throat> all right, so here we are. Topic at hand. We are at Leprechaun. This is our first con. Now, 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 Amanda's an old school con. Con motherfucker, and I know this because she and I have been to a million cons. I know you've tabled at like uh, your fair I, share, right? I have right? been behind the table at cons. Whoa. It's not as fun behind the table as just you know shopping. <laughs> yeah, it's true. It's true. That's what these. That's what these things kind of like. They kind of come down to, right? It's like you hang out the dealer's room a lot, and if the program is good, then you see some panels or whatever, right? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. It, it, but mostly, it's about the shopping. I mean, people will be like, oh, you know, well, the bigger cons, I guess, too, it's about seeing the stars nowadays. But, yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. And that's always fun. There's something kind of fun about that. But, um, you know, there's the, who's the guest of honor? Do we have the program here? There's a program. Her name's not on here, I don't think. But it's oh, that's a, cool. She's a screenwriter <laughs> for Star Trek, the original series. DC I Fontana is oh, yeah, Ah, DC honor. Fontana, yeah. So that's kind of cool. Original Star Trek. Yeah, original she, she uh, the Trouble with Tribbles. Oh, um, That's a great else, one. But yeah, yeah, screenwriting, awesome stuff. Good. She should be on here somewhere. Good. So that's why there's like a lot of Star Trek love around here today. There's a lot of guys in Star, Star Trek, Trek shirts, and and that's cool. I love Star Trek. I love Star Trek also. I mean, it, despite like a like a number of, of terrible movies and some like below average TV shows, my enthusiasm for Star Trek remains undiminished. The central core idea behind Star Trek, I think, endures, despite the sort of crummy regurgitations and. Despite like Paramount's very recent and draconian uh, move to essentially ban the making of fan films, which I think was is really kind of churlish of them, you know, yeah. just very like, Meh, you can't <laughs> do it, you can't do it, can't make the fan films. Like, you right. know, I, that really annoys me because it kind of completely goes against what Star Trek has been all about. I mean, since its beginning, it's been about 
forwarding society. I mean, the black and white kiss and Uhura and and then Paramount's just like just totally turned their back on something that I think they should have totally embraced and yeah. been like, yeah, hey, definitely. let's let's be forerunners in this also. Yeah. Nope. Yeah. Well, you know, there the, it has always been about making money and. And that's, to be totally honest, that's one of the things that I kind of don't like about the more current Star Trek movies. So they don't really seem to be about anything. Like, they're more about space fights and yeah. and special effects than they are about... And people people are like, oh, old Star Trek movies are boring. And I'm like, but they have heart, you know? I think that there's like a there's a comfortable middle ground. Now, this... this you, is, you have to actually pay attention and have a brain for a lot of the Star Trek movies. Now, I'm not saying they're all good. Oh, please don't say that. We, I'm not, we, yeah. we all know that, that that wouldn't be a lie. But there are some extremely excellent ones. Indeed. Did, are you... Okay, Heather and I have had this conversation a million times, but, like, does it blow your mind now, looking back on Star Trek Nemesis, and, like, realizing that that's Tom Hardy? <laughs> That that's that Tom Hardy is like the is like the Romulan dude who's like the, the little like creepy Romulans are like take your medicine and he's like I won't do it don't want to do it that's like Tom Hardy is that start somewhere though isn't it, it's weird it is, it, he's, he's like he's so, all scrawny and like he's small. so good he's such a he's good a actor boy. he's like and, and to be totally honest I guess he's like the quote unquote like best part of that movie is which he? is is he dude dude what's better what's um, better in Star Trek Nemesis name one thing that's better like the the third data robot no oh, oh yeah yes. yeah more more data lores yeah. even more datas yes <laughs> i need to have at least 10 in my you, star trek movies have you guys seen that uh that red letter media like where they um if you guys watch red letter media right on 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 youtube it's this guy he does this great these great like movie reviews where he like picks apart movies and he he exposes all their logical inconsistencies oh okay and spencer then, would love that <laughs> oh, it's so funny. He does it in a funny voice. He's got this character that he does it. He does it as, and um, one of the things that he does is he goes through the um, special features and the commentaries and stuff, and he okay. pulls things out of there and he cuts that in, so you can kind of <laughs> get into the mindset of the people who are making the movies. And like, um, apparently, the guy who wrote uh, Nemesis is Brent, Brent Spiner's friend. Right, and so oh. and there's and so there's like a scene of him in the, uh, the and he cuts it into the to the uh, review where the where he's all like, so so I just thought I'd put in another Brent Spiner because who doesn't love Brent Spiner? There's just need <laughs> more of him on screen, and you're just like you're just like, ah, I really, I mean that's like that was really the thought. But Brent you know? Spiner is awesome. Well, and Data is awesome too. But Data is awesome. Data is awesome, but like when we're in a uh, when we have a movie about like uh, about like. Picard's clone. Do we really need like another episode of We Found Another Data? There's more datas <laughs> and more Picards. I mean, it just felt like by, by the time point it is. You can lot. never have enough datas, especially if they all have three speeds. That's all I'm gonna say. Is that is that mean like the like fully fully f- fully yes. functional and, and programmed in many techniques? Is that what you're saying? That's right. <laughs> I see where you're going with that. <laughs> So what's your guys' con experience been like? This is your guys' first day at the con. I was here yesterday. But how are you guys enjoying it? You guys liking your... You guys having fun? (laughs) (laughs) You guys look pretty pretty enthused to be here. We're happy to be here. I mean, I will say we are able to be here recording a podcast um, 
with no interruptions cool. whatsoever from <laughs> customers who might be interested in like learning about our product. So that that does say something, I suppose. <laughs> We've met some other great dealers, right? We've yeah. met some some other great dealers. Yes. We've met Keith over here. Yeah. Keith Keith is on our my my left right now. <laughs> I think maybe we'll have Keith on in a minute yeah. because because Keith got Keith is working on a great project and I think people should hear about it. So we should talk to him about it because he's doing a Kickstarter. Are you doing that in July or August? He's hoping for July. So um, seeing as how it's almost July, I think that we should get Keith on here so that people can hear about this project because it's the kind of, I, I think I'd like to pledge it. Uh, you guys you guys see anything in the program that you want to do? Yeah. <laughs> what do you do? The, uh, the mini adults puppet jam. <laughs> <laughs> Are you going for the... <laughs> I can't even. No. <laughs> I want to know what open filk is. Oh my goodness! It doesn't sound good. Is it supposed to be a joke? No. Maybe that's a joke. There's no jokes here. Oh, we have someone. We, Connor here is going to tell us what open filk is. Here. Oh, okay. So it's kind of like um, those, like like Harry Potter rock bands and stuff. Pretty much, except uh, uh, it's more science and science fiction. Ah, okay. All right. Well, that's at nine thirty. I don't think we're gonna be here at that point. I think we're gonna peace out before Puppet then. Puppet Jam is also Puppet a Jam. In the day. Puppet Jam is at ten. It gets pretty crazy, I'm sure. Puppets. Puppet Jam. Yeah. Right now, uh, Ben isn't able to join us. Ordinarily, he would be here uh, weighing in on th- these serious topics. Um, like, like, what, what was that? <laughs> ben steps away from the table for one minute. Look at these usur- <laughs> usurpers. Usurpers are just coming for his shit. Um, hey, that's how popular your podcast uh, is. Everyone wants to be on it. Yeah, well. Uh, maybe you should sell time slots. Uh, wait, I, maybe <laughs> maybe what we'll do is we'll take a little break real quick, and then we'll get another line set up, and we can talk to Connor here for a minute, and then we can talk to uh, Keith. What do you think? Sure. Great. Sure. All right, cool. Let's take, just take a second. Okay, kids. Well, we did, in fact, talk to Connor. However, as I was going through editing this episode, I just didn't really feel like what we t- covered was super salient. So we will be playing some of Connor's interview in a subsequent episode where Ben and I do a big wrap-up. We are going to crit hit this upcoming weekend. We're going to do a big wrap-up episode, uh, having all of our adventures from cons in it so you'll get to hear some of connor in that one however right now we're going to go to our interview with game developer ben warner hope you enjoy so we're back from a little break and uh our esteemed host, Ben, has uh, returned from the game room after playing some 7C with one of the writers, uh, Ben Werner. And we are very privileged to have him here to discuss not only his role in 7C, but his own game that he has developed, World of Dew. His own game and also, you know, who he is as a gamer, developer, that kind of stuff. Cool. We're interested yep. in all that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, lay it on me. What you guys got? Let's hear about what you were playing. What were you guys doing? 
So we did a, an introductory adventure for 7C, right? Yep, the introductory adventure, Long Live the Prince. I'm not going to try the the uh, Polish name for it because I will slaughter it. <laughs> um, but it's the it's the quick start adventure that came out um, during the kick, uh, during the Kickstarter that we did, um, and it's basically teaching you how to play the game for the new second edition of 7C that just came out. Cool. Yeah, we had uh, five pre-gen characters to choose from. Yep. Um, I myself selected Ennio Vespucci, the duelist. Um, nice. That sounds fun. Oh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, the, you know, as, as we were talking about the end of the game, uh, that like uh, I really felt like when you looked at the character sheet, they had like a like a virtues and a quirks thing that really made you made it pop out who the character was you were playing right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Um, so it gave you a sense of kind of who he was immediately that you could sort of jump right into and take advantage of. Nice. Nice. Um, and so, how long was that session? Like about about three hours. Yeah. yeah. Um, you can if 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 you want, it, it can run anywhere from I've, the shortest I've ever done it is like two hours to four hours, the longest. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's an introductory, so it, it's there to teach you how to how to play and learn all the the basic rules when you're in a game session. And what's the uh, the the premise of the of the session for that adventure? Uh, that adventure is uh, one of the players is the crown prince of Sarmatia. Um, and he's about to be uh, married. He's engaged to uh, Domenica Vespucci, who's a Vedace uh, uh, noble, and her brother Ennio is there with her, um, and uh, also the bodyguard of the prince, and uh, Ennio's friend, uh, Captain Gallo, who's, a, who's not a pirate, but he is, um, <laughs> and uh, who, who has sailed them there on his ship to, the, to Sarmatia when a uh, dastardly Marquis uh, de Sabat um, has br- uh, breaks into the castle and uh, has a coup to overthrow the prince and the king, and um, and you have to escape, uh, escape uh, from the the coup and get on the, the the ship and then sail to Vadace after trying to convince all these Sarmatian uh, nobles. Yeah, you know, uh, I mean, when uh, when when we had John Wick on, he was like, you know, picture exactly like Errol Flynn. Yeah, you know, and that's exactly what it was. It was like burning ballrooms and like. Uh, sleeping from balconies and you know I'll try and make it out of this 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 manner and uh, it was a lot of fun um, I I I, uh, I I like uh, I like the fact that it, it it's uh, more narrative than than uh, a lot of other games out there uh, but and uh, it's it provides a lot of uh, fun opportunities to sort of like tell some some really like over the top crazy stories I mean it sounds like there's a lot going on in that one session yeah, um, like um, like Ben was saying, um, it's got a strong narrative uh, element to it, so that when you're uh, spending your raises, you're getting to, as the player, tell everyone else what your character is doing beyond just like I hit this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's still it, it's not like as wide open as as some other narrative games, um, so that there's still like structure that the that the game master can uh, have to like kind of tell the story that they want to tell. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, it was kind of like an interesting compromise, right, between like a like total narrative and like storytelling. Yeah, that was one of our goals going forward. With was like you know we want the players to be able to invest in their characters and, and tell the story they want to tell, but then also uh, have you know it, it not not to be a, a story free for all sort of. Yeah, um, with like some other games like like World of Do or or House of the Blooded or those types of games uh, where it's like very free for me and you can't plan as a as a game master of the story oh interesting so so world of do is one of those games where there's there's no prep time 
Right. Yeah. Uh, there's like virtu the um, you can prepare uh, for eventualities, okay. but uh, you can't. But 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 beyond that, there's no like um, you can't really uh, decide where the story is going to go as far as the jam when you're playing World of Dew. So so let's rewind for a second and maybe okay. kind of like pitch World of Dew for us and for our listeners. Sure. Yeah. Um, absolutely. So World of Dew is the first uh, full role playing game that I developed and. Uh, 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 wrote and uh, published and kickstarted um, and then printed and, and whatever. Um, it's a samurai noir uh, role-playing game and you play geisha and yakuza and ronin and uh, police detectives down in the, the dirty grimy, uh, grimy like noir streets of Tokugawa era Japan. So anywhere from like the 1600s to like the Maiji Rebellion in the 1800s. Wow, that's, that is really fascinating. I love the, the synergy of those two themes. Uh, Tell me more. What was that? Tell me more. Oh, okay. Um, so uh, one of the um, one of the ideas was that uh, where the idea initially came from um, was John uh, was developing Blood and Honor, which is his uh, noble samurai in clan houses. Uh, you play the the retainers of a like a daimyo um, during the Sengoku Jidai era, the age of the country at war, when all the uh, people were fighting to become who the new shogun was going to be. Um, and so when we were making characters, and I helped him write on that, and I wrote a section on all the different daimyo types and the historical daimyos. And um, so when we were make, whenever we were making characters, I'd be like, hey, John, can I play a ronin? And John was like, no, Ben, you can't play a ronin, you're clan samurai. And then we'd, be, you know, we'd try another game session, and I'd be like, hey, can I be a, like a geisha in this game? And he'd be like, no, no, you'd be a clan samurai, Ben. And, uh, and, and so I was like, well, what if, what if this time I'm like a merchant or like a like a... Like a smuggler or something, or, or you know, or, or like a, like a gangster, and he's like, "No, make your own damn game, Ben. You, we're clan samurai," and so I did. Uh, nice, nice. So, I like yeah, that. I like that. That's a great response for that. that uh, yeah. That so he, he was like, "Yeah, you should go make your own game," and so I, I that's what I ended up doing. So is it that you were, as a player, were you just kind of compelled to play against type inside of the confines of that world, or is it as a as a Storyteller and game designer, are you attracted to sort of these like uh, street level stories that are more grimy and like seedy? Yeah, and it, was, it was definitely more of the second. Um, I, I love playing Blood and Honor as well, but it was there were all these other stories that I wanted to tell, and I felt like the base system in Blood and Honor could be expanded to tell these stories that are like because Blood and Honor is based off of a lot of like uh, Japanese Chambara, Akira Kurosawa like style. Uh, movies like Ron and um, Shichi uh, Nino Samurai, that kind yeah, of stuff. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so that um, that those type of stories. But then I also love like Seven Samurai and uh, Kagemusha and um, like uh, like Throne of Blood or, or um, Yojimbo, where which has the Ronin more, that you couldn't necessarily play. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Characters you couldn't necessarily play. Um, and so um, I wanted to tell those stories as well. And um, so I wanted to. So that's when I, I took the the base um, like mechanic, the dice mechanic from uh, Blood and Honor, and the the honor mechanic, uh, which is a shared mechanic in uh, the game where all the players can either gain honor or lose honor mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. in the game. And it's a big. It's like a dice. It's a it's a token pool that sits in the middle of the table that people buy and spend from. Um, that's that's interesting. And so um, I took that, and then I uh, added new geary which are kind of like your callings or your your character class to the game 
Um, they're all new, different. So the Yakuza, the Ronin, the, the Geisha, the police detective, the smuggler, the priest, uh, or it's the holy person, I should say, um, soldier, all these different other like kind of like lower class characters that aren't clan samurai. Um, and then I added um, another um, mechanic called um, Ninjo, which is desire. And it, it wars with honor in the game. So Ninjo is a oh, person. That's, that's awesome. So that's it's, it's awesome. a personal... Yeah. It's a personal um, mechanic. It's a personal uh, pool of, of resources that you have, and whenever you take a step towards fulfilling your character's desire, which is a sentence at the top of your character sheet, um, you gain a point in ninjo. Uh, but where honor is spent to like help the entire group out um, and do things, ninjo is spent to only help you. So, um, so if you're all running down a, an alleyway being chased by bad guys. Um, and the building's on fire. You can spend a point of honor and say the building collapses between us and the, and the, the, the cops and we get away. Um, or you can spend a point of ninja and say, I see a ladder off the side. I climb up it and take the ladder with me. And I'm like, bye-bye suckers. <laughs> so that's how honor and ninja work differently. Um, that's, that's really rad. Is, yeah. is, um, are the games compatible then? They are actually. Yeah? Yeah. And um, so you can play a combination of the characters. Um, and one of the other, the other really big thing I did in uh, my game was that in Blood and Honor you build a clan and you play the clan's uh, story and whatnot. Mine is you're all in a city, a location. Okay. And so after you create your characters, you go through and create a city, a oh, setting. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Yeah, so and that's it, a collective process as well? That's a collective process. You all get points and you go around spending points. And you're basically telling the storyteller um, what's important to your character, what you care about. And you can create both, uh, like allies and and good guys but also villains and and um you can even create like esoteric threats like a tsunami is coming oh. um oh, and so wow. there's all these points and then after you spend those points they all go into a pool which is the start of um a pool for the um which is the story pool for the the storyteller and these are points that you can spend to alter the reality that has already been established by the players. Mm -hmm. So one of the big powerful things in the game of course is that the players are spending their wagers um, and they're and they're like ninja and honor points to s establish things that are true about the world. Okay. Um, so you could say, like you say, we have a map of the sewers that we're going to use to get through to get to the daimyo's castle, so we can sneak in there and like kill him because he's really corrupt and terrible. Um, and so one of the players like, yeah. So we're using the map. And we're going to go through here, and we're, we're here at the entrance. And I I spend a point and I say, um, as you come to the last turn on your map. Um, you notice that the tunnel is collapsed and there's no left hand. You're lost. And so <laughs> they have a map, but what they thought was, what the players thought was uh, reality is actually not. So the character's reality has changed. So it allows them, so while the players all have like a certainty that, uh, mo mostly a certainty, and especially one of the problems in uh, games where you have a lot of narrative power, no, the, the player and character's knowledge is always kind of a problem. Yeah. And so with that uh, pool, the storyteller can keep that uncertainty. So like whenever I'm running the game and I like reach my hand kind of towards the pool, everyone slows down and looks <laughs> at the pool like, oh crap. So so the in order for that mechanic to work and to have its the narrative feel, the pool needs to be visible to the players. Yeah. And you and Yeah, you I keep it right in front of me. Okay. So Okay. Yeah. Um So are these games that are very freeform and very uh, non-preparation-oriented, -pre are they good for campaign play? Yeah. How, tell me about that. So um, 
um, when you build your characters, um, you're telling a series of stories um, with, uh, with all your characters. And then the way I have the campaign set up is that um, between in downtimes, the seasons pass because we're playing Japan and seasons are very important. And whenever a season passes, you have so many actions that you can take in the downtime, like between in, in the season. So you have season actions. And each of these things can be things to like either improve your character, like say your Ronin spends all his time at the dojo, so he becomes a better swordsman, right? Um, or it could be um, like your police detective goes to the magistrate's court and like tries to like figure out some big mystery that you've all been working on. So he's doing all this research and whatnot. So he can he can convert some of the mechanical points, like leads he's gotten in cases, into actual or rumors he's gotten in cases, which is a mechanic, into leads so, on a case. So these are like separate side stories they create, like yeah. in between like main stories. For, yeah. Okay. And, how and does so the, how these does change the your character's sheet, like like the, the 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 points you've spent on your character sheet, and you can like change the aspects that your characters have, which is aspects being something that's basically a, a fate mechanic that yeah. you borrowed. Yes. So and all the aspects in uh, World of Dew are all Japanese idioms that I've used. Uh, so they're basically like uh, one of them is like uh, don't stand under the melon tree, uh, <laughs> uh, or don't stand under the uh, the plum tree in the melon field, which is don't ever have the appearance of of doing the wrong thing, right? Even if you're doing the right thing, don't you know? So it's like it's a social thing. So whenever you are like you know doing what appears to be correct, then you know. Or um, another one is uh, like fall, seven, fall down seven times for the kami and they will help you up the eighth time. So, you know, if, if you just keep going no matter what, <laughs> then you will, you know, you will succeed. So, uh, how yeah. long did it take you to, to research this game? Because it sounds just like... My whole life. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great answer. Uh, no, I, I mean, I've been fascinated with Japanese history and culture from a very young age. I think uh, I saw... Uh, Usagi Yojimbo comics when I was yes. pretty young, and I oh, really got into those. One. I just met Stan Sakai last month at Phoenix Comic Con, nice. which was freaking amazing. Nice. Um, those yeah. hold up pretty well. Those old uh, Usagi Yojimbo. They do. Yeah, they nice. really do. And then I got into history um, in college. Um, I was a history major for a while, and Japanese history was a big thing for me, like that I was into. And so I read all that, and so yeah. I've always, yeah, for a long time. So I already kind of knew a lot of this stuff, but there were some like specific things that I did have to research, like the idioms, like specifically. I knew, I knew a handful, but I didn't know enough to do what I wanted to do. To fully flesh out like a character sheet, give people plenty of options. What was that? You didn't know enough to fully flesh out a character sheet to right. give people like tons of yeah. options that you, you would yeah. need. And I, and I had a couple of people that were really helpful during my research. Uh, Andy Katowski, who's also a, a game uh, designer, uh, he did uh, Tenra Bancho uh, Zero. And um, a couple other things, and he's he uh, lives in Japan and uh, is totally fluent in Japanese, and so he's the one that actually helped me with all the kanji in the book. If you look on the edges of the page of the book, um, there's all these uh, different phrases and sayings that I've I've put in there for the people who are, are fluent in Japanese. Well, I gotta say, man, that's a really great pitch for a game. It sounds—I mean, I'm revved yeah. up. I feel revved up. Don't you? I do too. Yeah, I do too. Absolutely. It, it sounds—it sounds intense. It sounds like an intense game. Like, I mean, I feel—I don't really feel like there's a lot of good, um, good games that that represent that era out there. I feel, you know, here's the thing. I think I was just saying how this this to somebody in the in the context of um, what's been going on with Harry Potter, and I was like, 
you know how whenever they um, are doing a role-playing game and then they get to the to the like the Eastern influence or like the Oriental Adventures kind of thing, and it just feels like tacked on. It feels tacked yeah, on. Yeah. It feels like like racist stereotypes, you know. Especially for that's such a weird era in Japan, anyway, right? Because you're looking at like like feudal Japan meets like Victorian sort of society in a lot of ways, mm. and like how that how that like you know yeah. changes. And there's all these weird like weirdness in japan you know just the the weird imagine being on the streets and seeing like you know some guy in traditional dress and then seeing some other dude in, a, in like a victorian suit you know oh yeah that's in the gms chapter um i suggest that you either start right at the um in the like the in 1600 like when tokugawa took over because it's a huge time when they're dismantling the power of the daimyos and tokugawa's you know setting up his uh, hegemony um and so that's a very interesting where time where all these power dynamics are shifting. So there's all these rebellions and, and groups fighting each other. And the cities are becoming like preeminent places for people to go. And then also I suggest the other fun time to play is in during the time of the leading up to the Maiji Rebellion um, and the um, where like Victorian Europe is, is basically like rolling into into uh, Japan and everything is changing. So in actually in my game, um, one of the big things, one of the rules I have is the firearm rule, which is if you get shot by a gun, you're dead. Um, mm, you have to yeah. spend a honor point to not be dead, um, yeah. which is a, a very, the rarest resource, and it's a big deal. So, huh. yeah. Yeah, I, I, it, sounds, it sounds really awesome. I, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful era. And you have a lot of, like, leeway if you want to trail, I guess, a, a more, like, a, a story more focused on sort of, like, what everybody sort of considers traditional Japan, right? Which would be like early on in the Tokugawa. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, I even so, so, the, so you could you could you get because blood and honor is obviously gonna, is going to take place a little bit earlier, right? It's going to it's it's going to be more uh, about the the, the warring the feudal, states, the feudal mm-hmm. era, and so then could you conceivably take like the mechanics and stuff to play street level characters in the blood and honor uh, timeline? Yeah, you totally could. Wonderful. Um, yeah, and uh, if you're like really historically minded, there would be probably a couple different things that you would want to change. But um, as far as like what's available, like yakuza don't technically exist in that time mm, period. You okay, know? okay. But like you know, those are like minor things. Sure. But, uh, you could totally play with all the mechanics like that. There were gangsters though, so just yeah. you know, scribble out the name. You know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you could totally play in, you know in any of those time periods like that with. Um, yeah. And I, I have one last question, and sure. then, we can, then we'll get to seven C. So because. You're not developing a campaign, like a full campaign, and, and, and like it's kind of like a story prep minimal. What is the kind of prep that a storyteller should bring before they sit down at the table? So, um, what I suggest to storytellers is like have a list of names, um, like attributes. Um, like, I always have a lot of note cards, uh, so uh, you can like cards. write down three things that are true about a character. Yeah, I noticed that with the Seven C, you had the same thing. Oh yeah, yeah, it's become a habit now. Uh, yeah, so that you can you can take notes about what's going on and whatnot, um, and then after the session, kind of like write down what's happened so that you can remember and like prepare for eventualities. Like, oh, they they're going after this big bad guy, so maybe I should have him prepared and some of his guys and what that situation is there for them. Okay. So, okay. So it, it not it's not zero prep, but it's definitely like you know eventualities you know you can't decide because they may then next session decide to go somewhere completely different yeah yeah so it essentially just puts the priority on the eventualities i mean as a storyteller you're always thinking about eventualities right and this one it's like more eventualities less story yeah, yeah exactly yeah so so now ben is a big fan of what's been going on with seven seasons following it very closely he's pledged everything 
I, I'm sure that our listeners would love to hear about what's going on. Well, I, I, didn't, I didn't do like the crazy pledges because, you know, money. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I hear you. Uh, yeah. Um, but but 7th Sea was sort of early on and when I started actually following Kickstarter games. And uh, I think that was the second one that I'd pledged in this long streak of Kickstarter games I've been pledging. It, it's it, you're it's a trap. You're you're now stuck with the rest of well, us. Well, I'm actually uh, I actually just the last one that I pledged just funded, and so at this point I I'm like being a lot more cautious because I had gone through a lot of money in Kickstarter lately. Yeah, dude, yeah. dude. In the last like three months or something, I'm like in like into Kickstarter yeah. for like a grand or something. It's like but, ridiculous. But after Hollywood, Hollywood uh, funded, then I have no more left. But um, that being said, uh, 7C, uh, where are they in the process right now, I guess? That's where I'm kind of curious. So um, 7, the Kickstarter was a little bit bigger than what was originally <laughs> planned. Um, John tells a story. I don't know if he told you guys this, but uh, when he launched the Kickstarter, he was at his desk at his computer, and he walked about five feet over to get a glass of water yep. and then walked back, and it was like $10,000 or something insane uh, already within the first couple seconds after he'd hit the launch button. And he was on Skype with uh, Mark Diaz Truman, who's the business manager for John Wick Presents. And he was like, Mark, I, I, I think there's something wrong with the Kickstarter. And Mark's like, no, it isn't. And we need to replan everything. Uh, <laughs> so they kicked in like minutes. Yeah. And then um, I think it, the night that we interviewed him was the night that he became the largest, uh, yeah. largest yeah, yeah. RPG. In history, yeah. yeah. The largest Kickstarter RPG uh, in history, it's one point three million dollars. Oh, that is quite a record. That is gonna. I mean, I don't yeah. know who's gonna be able to upset that apple cart. Uh, who knows? Um, it's it's pretty crazy. And uh, out of that came um, eleven more books besides the core book. So there's twelve books, and um, one of the one of the things was uh, it's planned out for twenty four months. So that's the farthest out John was willing to plan, which is. I think a really good uh, good stopping point because once you get beyond that, then you have problems with like you know predicting uh, predicting where your production is going to be and oh and yeah whatnot. sure things can change in two years um, <laughs> yeah a little bit so um, yeah uh, what a lot of people didn't realize though is that uh, the process for the core book was really far along a lot of the writing had already been done uh, when we launched the Kickstarter and um, so the core book itself is actually done now. Oh wow, um, that's exciting! It's um, I, sh I should say the the writing and the layout and everything. It is at the printers right now, um, and uh, but the PDF of the book, the completed book, is for sale right now on Drive Through RPG, um, and all the backers have received their electronic copies, um, um, and they received it a week before we put it on sale, and then um, the plan is is that if everything goes uh, correctly with the printer, uh, the book should be available by Gen Con. Gen Con of this year. Gen Con this year. That is an amazing That's ambitious. turnaround. It's it's a it's a little early. Uh, How, so when yeah. did you think it was going to deliver? Uh, I think the original delivery date was uh, what we, or what they promised was October. So wow. So yeah. Wow, congratulations. That is yeah. that is something Thanks. else. And that is a class way to do it too, where. People get their electronic files before they are made to the public. That's yeah. that's really classy. Yeah, and um, and that's just the core book. Um, my job right now is actually I'm one of the, I'm with John. I'm the code lead developer for the Pirate Nations, which is the first expansion mm -hmm. of the of the twelve total books, and um, uh, we've just finished uh, primary writing on that, and it's off to copy editing. Well, so. what, what can you tell us? What can you share? Um, 
So we have several new nations. Um, the the big change is the big change from first edition to second edition for Seven C is that in first edition it was just basically a not Europe sort of style uh, play area, and there wasn't really much else where you could go. And with second edition, one of the big changes, sea uh, changes, huh, was um, that it literally opened up the entire world. Okay. Um, so uh, the only area that's not covered in the in this main Kickstarter is the Far East. Um, and the idea for that is uh, because we want to do a lot more books. Because the original people were like, well, we'll do a book for the Far East. And we're like, no, like India and China and Japan and, and Mongolia and Thailand all need books, you know, in Australia. So that's going to be its own future Kickstarter, hopefully. Wow. Um, okay. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah, right? Uh, I might write something about Japan there, so uh, or not Japan, <laughs> but yeah. Um, but so the uh, um, the Pirate Nations uh, book is all about um, basically these like nations that focus on freedom and, and a lot of pirates, of course. And uh, the main area of that is called the Atabayan Sea, which is kind of our not Caribbean sort of setting. Okay. Um, the Brotherhood of the Coast are back. They're they're first uh, listed in the main core book as a one of the secret societies that you can join. But now we talk about Aragosta, which is their uh, capital, and it's also where any all the freelancers and and freebooters and smugglers and uh, buccaneers and whatnot go. Um, but also, actually, buccaneers uh, have their own island called Labuka, which is like kind of the Bermuda. It's the it's the place between Thea and the New World that everyone stops at. And so that's another uh, big location, and it's also a, kind of a Monaco. It's kind of a hub of of uh, piracy and uh, also um, and privateers, but also uh, spies, okay, because all okay. the Thane nations have their ambassadors there to sell letters of mark to all the different pirates, and um, so then they're all spying on each other because they're all there. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, that sounds really good. And then yeah. and then the other cool things that we have are um, we have. Um, Jagara, which is um, kind of a not Haiti. It was a former um, slave colony that the slaves rose up and have overthrown, and they're now in the hard job of, of like forming their own new nation. So that's the other. That's another one. And then of course we have the big bad guys, which are the Atabayan Trade Company, and uh, they're um, they're kind of like the primary uh, source of slavery in the world. But uh, one of my favorite things about them is um, is George Rourke, the president of the Atabayan Trade Company. He's like kind of the first big uh, um, corporation in the world, and he's all about freedom and um, freedom to do whatever he wants. And uh, <laughs> this, his, this, his this capital is city is it's... Fort Freedom, um, and Ayn Rand has nothing to do with uh, <laughs> with him at all. Um, but but they're also the the they're they're bringing freedom to everyone by enslaving them. So um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you think uh, your objectivist readers will appreciate this? They will definitely recognize uh, <laughs> the libertarian ideals of, of objectivism in there. Um, but yeah, but John's a big li libertarian anyways, but um, sort of. Um. <laughs> every, every objectivist who I've ever talked to about... So are you a libertarian? No, I'm actually... Like, no, 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 not oh, you. This, this is what I'm oh, yeah, yeah. So, so are you a libertarian? And they're like... That's complicated. Like every single one. It's like there doesn't seem to, there doesn't seem to be any kind of consensus in this at all. Right. Yeah. And I mean, and they are the big bad guys in the setting because uh, they're they're basically unrestrained capitalism um, in the 1600s and that includes slavery. Um, so, but then we also have examples of like, you know, people who have, you know, kind of their own ideas of freedom regarding you know, that as like pirates and whatnot. So we have we have heroes as well, doing different things like that too. So. 
Cool. Yeah. cool. Um, and I know I'm forgetting something. Oh, we have the Rahuri, which are the uh, like the native people of the Atabayan trade uh, of the Atabayan Sea, and the other name for the the Atabayan Sea is the Sea of Monsters, because there's all these massive sea monsters that live in the Atabayan Sea. Uh, there, uh, there's like the Kraken, and there's uh, Mama Torte, who's like a giant uh, a sea turtle, like uh, the size of an island, and then there's the Wua, which is uh, which is Taino language, which is the Rahuri are based off of, which is just no. Um, and it's this <laughs> massive like maw that of this creature that just creates these big whirlpools um, and sucks ships down into it and, and eats them. So yeah, and all sorts of other different types of crazy monsters. It sounds of, awesome. Yeah, since there's a lot of good stuff coming out of Seven Sea, man, that yeah. is something to look forward to. Yeah, and there's gonna be lots more too, right? Oh yeah, so there's, many books. There's uh, uh, coming out after that, I believe, is the new. Uh, is let me get the names correctly so there's new world which is like kind of central south america type setting uh Asatlan and um all the massive empires there so like aztec mayan inca sort of type uh cultures um then there's also um and this order is probably terribly wrong about release uh thing then there's the colonies um which is kind of in north america um and the different cultures that are up there um and there's also Ifri, which is the land of golden fire, which is kind of an Africa type thing. And um, uh, we have Jerry Grayson, who's going to be the developer for that, which we're really excited about because he's awesome. He wrote the Atlantis uh, role-playing game stuff, and he knows all sorts of stuff about Africa. Um, and then we have the Crescent Empire, which is a kind of a Middle East. Um, and it's about the, uh, the Crescent Empire, which is a series of all these different cultures and their own kingdoms that are held together by this kind of gossamer strings. And there's ideas of like uh, jinn running around and doing crazy things in, in an Ottoman Turk sort of type thing. And for, nice. Yeah. And, I like uh, that. Um, Oh, and there's the Nations of Thea books. So that those are deeper dives into the, the Thean uh, countries. And then the Secret Societies book. Um, and oh, then there's this, the Cities of Faith and the Cities of Adventure, which are basically a series of uh, like campaign adventures that cover three and also details on three major cities. Um, that each book is a, a different set of cities, and they're a bit, you know ones like Faith is like so Iskandar, which is the capital of uh, the Crescent Empire, and um, and like Freiburg is one of the adventure cities, and so yeah, so there are all sorts of places all over the world. Sounds like he's keeping you guys busy. Yeah. Very busy, yes. <laughs> but not too busy that you don't find other times to game. I heard you talking about uh, your exploits and Ticket to Ride earlier. Yes, yeah, I, I, I yeah, I love board gaming. That's one I, of my other favorite. I was kind of curious what other role playing games you play besides the ones that you're currently working on. Right now, um, right now I'm running uh, Blades in the Dark, which is a um, sort of dishonored uh, video game type. I, 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 setting I I, I I kicked that I, I, I you're playing off of the ever changing ever, ever changing quick start rules yeah and how, how is that going tell me everything it's it's going pretty well actually um, for people who don't know it's uh, kind of like oceans 11 meets steampunk in a very dark uh, gothic world um, and we, I have seven players which is kind of crazy because I normally like limit my games to six max and we may even have eight at one point but um, it goes it's great um, they're a, a gang of, um, they're not thieves, but they're, um, they're kind of like uh, smugglers um, that uh, have like their own products that they're selling to demons and ghosts in the city of Duskfall. And uh, they just uh, made a deal with not only a devil, but also with a vampire lord. 
Um, and so uh, they are getting themselves in deeper and deeper, but they have just defeated the Red Sashes. So anyone who's familiar with the game setting and like the, the beginning of the adventure, like the very first adventure, they have finally defeated the Red Sashes, which are the first big bad guys you face. I am so excited for that game to finally be out. Right, you yeah. Know? I mean, um, how long have you been playing it? A couple months now, I think three months maybe. And, and how has it been? How has it been? Like? It's it's been really it's been great. Um, yeah, yeah. The the on a scale of one to ten, where would you put it? Ah, uh, this is just for me because I'm. I mean, I've been licking yeah. my chops that game for like a year and a half. I say maybe a, a seven. Um, and that's personal preference. Uh, like, as a game designer, I'm always tinkering with stuff and. The, there's a very kind of almost board game mechanic feel to like your gangs that as mm, you expand okay. their settings and stuff um, and it wouldn't be the choice I would make if I was designing it but I see why he did it okay um, that's fair. And, so, and it's a good I mean I think it's not a bad design choice okay it's it's definitely a preference it's just a different way he would it's gone. just a different way okay um, so yeah it's it, it, everything he's done though is really smart and a lot of it really captures the feel of like kind of the heist movie and and like and all the characters traces really capture that gar uh, dark gothic uh feeling because we have a vampire in the party and we have a hull which are people that are basically like um like he's he's basically a suit of armor that's empty that's basically uh embodied by uh, that that's uh, possessed by a spirit. so that classic like, oh, like that's ghost rad. Ghost yeah. idea, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's like, 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 uh, it's Soth, kind like of, if, right? if you like a yeah, Full sure. Metal Alchemist, Soth. like the brother, oh, okay. who's like yeah. living in, a, who's a suit of armor. Yep. So it's it's that sort of kind of idea. Oh, that's that killer. <laughs> it's so much fun. Yeah, and we have yeah we have like a we have basically all the different like standard people too, like the second story man, sort of like and the cutter, and uh, the sneak thief, and just all yeah the, um, yeah the slide and yeah the face man, all those character types, yeah. That sounds great. Um, and I think I'm, I'm also playing 7C. And um, Who's running it? John is. John Wick. Yeah. Is, it. so it's are, our, you guys, are you guys writing like a, a Metaplot? Is, is the Metaplot? No, no, no? Uh, not really. Um, we're just doing it to have fun because cool. there's so much. You do it a lot for work, too. I mean, well, we're doing, we do, you know, we're working on it so much that we also want to enjoy it. So, mm, yeah. yeah. So this is our, this is our actual just game to play that we're doing right now. Earlier we were doing a play test of it and in that one I was basically playing Baruch Spinoza Man of Action. So um, the famous like Jewish uh, uh, also like astronomer scientist guy. So I, it, it, what if he had become a pirate uh, quartermaster on a pirate ship was my character concept for that guy. Now cool. I'm playing an Ison uh, monster hunter. Nice, nice. So yeah, his, his name is Valtia uh, von something or other but I can't remember his last name right now, but yeah, he's super fun. He, he's very German, and he, uh, he uh, oh, oh, sorry, Eisen, und he was in the war as a cross, and he, he is not happy with these things anymore. <laughs> yeah, he has he has very, very very short temper for the church, and all that because he was in the war of the cross, which is yeah a big thing about basically the objectivists and the the um, Vatican faith, which are kind of the Protestant Catholic sort of thing, and it's it's all based around the idea of the Thirty Years' War. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. Yeah. That sounds great. Yeah. Um, oh, 
I'm also in a fifth edition D and D game every other Sunday. I forgot about that. Do you, do you manage to get any sleep? No, I, my friends. I always joke that I don't sleep. I just wait, um, <laughs> or I'm working. So. How do you like fifth edition? Yeah, it's I, I actually game. it's a role playing game, um, and which some people argue that fourth edition and oh not fourth edition, but yeah fourth fourth and third edition were not role playing games. They were like glorified, really complicated miniatures games. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yes. And uh, but no, fifth edition is a is a role playing. I'm really enjoying it. I'm playing a warlock, uh, con man. Um, and that's I'm having a, I'm having a blast literally. Good. Um, yeah, and I really like their uh, their character background choices that you you choose when creating the characters and and some oh, of the. Oh yeah, different I really like the background choices too. In yeah, that yeah. was a great move. Yeah, that's one of their best things, and they're one of the yeah. best innovations. Yeah. So um, before we let you go, sure. Is there anything else you want to add? Play more games. Uh, no, uh, yeah. Check out Seven C um, and um, yeah, and World to Do. I have it for sale on uh, Drive Through RPG, and I actually just uh, this last month got it finally. I've been it's it's been distributed physically uh, through Indie Press Revolution and a number of other okay. distributors, but I now finally have it um, um, for print on demand sales through Drive Through RPG now too because I had oh. a uh, people who are always like, I can't find copies anywhere, and you know, and and whatnot, and it's it's been selling out pretty fast through indie uh, press. So, and it's hard to keep up with that. Yeah. Uh, but so now it's like, here, go here. You can get a copy here. Great. So, so yeah. drive through RPG. For drive through RPG for World of Doom. Also, the companion book because mm-hmm. the Kickstarter that I did for it, I I was going to mention this earlier, and I completely spaced on it. It did so well that we had an entire second book, and it the whole book is. Uh, other authors writing chapters about things that they like about the game setting that I, I did. So we have a chapter on like horror, Japanese horror and monsters oh, that nice. Toby Abad wrote, who's an amazing uh, author from the Philippines. And then like a chapter on like the Yakuza gangs, like a deep dive into that, and like geishas as super spies, and then a pirates, Japanese pirates, and all that. So that's called The Sound of Water, which is the expansion. And all those chapters um, are. Like local, not local, but uh, they're up, upcoming, and also some famous uh, artists who did all the chapter headers for that. So I have like nice. Tony Parker, who uh, did one of the chapter headers, and he's the Eisner-nominated uh, guy who did the Do Android Stream for Electric Sheep comic, and um, and he did the Mass Effect comic and a bunch of other stuff. And then like Stan, um, who's famous for doing uh, a bunch of like role-playing game artwork. He did the Pirates and some other new upcoming artists as well. So yeah. So Wonderful. check that out, too. Yeah. Definitely will. All right. Well, uh, Ben, thank you for stopping by and thank you for chatting with me. us. I really appreciate it, man. Yeah. And, hey, enjoy the rest of your con, huh? Uh, you, too. Yeah. Have a great time. Right on. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Well, guys, I really hope you guys much out of that interview as I did. I know that I walked away from that table being really stoked to play World of Do. Um, I still don't have a copy yet. I'm going to have to find Ben and hit him up and see if I can make that happen. He'll be at Crit Hit. If you are in Arizona and you're interested in attending Crit Hit, Ben Warner will be there demoing 7C. Highly recommend coming down, meeting him, playing in the game. We have another interview. Uh, this is a gentleman who's in a booth next to us. We never did get to interview Keith, but his interview will be coming up. Uh, this gentleman upcoming has a series of books that he's written based on his Dungeons & Dragons game, and I hope you enjoy it. Here we are 
we're back once again. Uh, we are sitting with author John Paul Reed, and he's joining us to represent the series of fantasy novels that he has authored. And uh, so tell us, John, how's the con treating you today? Well, I've always been a very big supporter of Leprechaun. This is my third Leprechaun. I've only lived in Phoenix, Arizona for the last three years. Oh, but wow. I, I, I love cons like this that allow you to network and have great fun in a more relaxed atmosphere. You're less shoulder to shoulder and you're more, uh, you have more room to move about. There is definitely no Plenty danger of, of running into people's shoulders today. Um, so tell us about your, uh, your works, my friend. Yes, yes, sir. Uh, I have two fantasy novels right now. Uh, they are both under the umbrella title of the Medford Family Chronicles. The first book is called Reckless Ambitions, Medford Family Chronicles, Volume 1. And the second book is entitled Capricious Deities, the Medford Family Chronicles, Volume 2. These books are based on my first edition Dungeons and Dragons campaign world that I've been developing yes. over uh, I've been developing over decades, awesome. and um, I, in a way, uh, one might say I'm copying Tolkien, but I've developed an entirely separate uh, dimensional plane with over 5,000 years of history, and um, I'm very excited about it. My third book will be coming out in, uh, in on August 15th. For, uh, for another local event here. And um, I hope to keep writing books because I, I'm very blessed that I have a broad uh, campaign world with many opportunities for different stories. So you started this as a D&D, first edition D&D campaign. What year did you start the campaign in? Well, that's a tough question. I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons since, uh, I believe, 1977, when I would have been, um, I would have been 11 going on 12. Oh yes, I, I played Chainmail and I played Tunnels and Trolls, but uh, Advanced Dungeons and Dragons really got kicked off, I think, in 1977-78. Now, I've been dungeon mastering, or game mastering, if you will, uh, from that point, and I developed my fantasy world to give a backdrop for my adventures, for, so that when people would play in my game, uh, they could they could learn the history. They could learn the the lay of the land that they were in, and they could count on that that same sort of uh, information for future games. Yeah, absolutely, nice. absolutely. And so, so what's what, what's the kind of? I mean, give us the kind of the highlights. Like, what's what's it feel like? What's been going on in your in your world? What's been going on in your game? Okay, uh, I I'm a great believer in history. I have I have three. I have three master's degrees and an almost completed doctorate, all in different historical areas. Now, uh, I like to take uh, events from history and change them a bit to fit the plots of my story. Now, my fantasy campaign world can be summed up very simply. Um, it's, a, it's one large major continent. The northern half of the continent is my... Uh, Rome slash medieval England, uh, uh, empire called Palomar, or the Palomaran Empire. And the southern half of the continent is made up of, a, of 11 independent city-states. Now, the interesting thing here is these 11 independent city-states, they all have different cultures, they all hate each other, and they all fight <laughs> with each other. But whenever the big, whenever the big bad Palomaran Empire tries to move south and 
uh, to, to annex them, these 11 city-states band together to beat off the Palomaran Empire. So mm -hmm. there's a nice uh, balance there, if you will. Okay, um, okay. I also have, of course, I have mountains, I have frontier areas, I have uh, uh, farmland, I have jungle, I have water adventures, I even have some uh, islands that are quote-unquote unexplored or barely explored. And um, there, there's room for expansion. Now, uh, forgive me if I'm going on too long in no, detail. No, 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 no. This is what I want to hear. E each one of my city-states has a different uh, culture. Like uh, the... The, uh, the city-state of Ulanike is ruled by a Tsarina, uh, and, uh, which is, might be considered my Moscow of the world. Okay. Uh, each of the other 11 city-states has a different character. Uh, I'd, try, I'd try listing them, but if I, only, if I forgot one, uh, somebody <laughs> out there would say, Aha, you forgot one! <laughs> but, uh, so yes. Um, have, have, have the events in that world been shaped greatly by the adventures that you've played in the absolutely, game? Absolutely, yes. Okay. Uh, when, when my players would play in the game, and as they would develop in level, um, I'm presuming that people would understand that in Dungeons & Dragons, you earn experience points and you gain more abilities by advancing in level. So oh yeah, as, our, our, our listeners are definitely familiar right, with this concept. Okay, I, I, I figured. So uh, as my characters would advance in level, I would, um, I would vary the settings, I would uh, get them uh, in more and more trouble as it were. <laughs> and, uh, uh, sure. as, as they would grow in experience, uh, I've actually named a couple of city-states and a couple of other uh, cities within the Palomar and Empire after successful uh, players in my game. Oh, that's cool. Nice. Um, and, and has it been consistent characters throughout, or is it characters come and go? Is it turned Char into Characters come, characters go, and best of all, uh, since I have more than 5,000 years of history, I can set any game I want, uh, whether way back in time, whether uh, in the present day, or even I can move into the future, and uh, I can play with uh, the setting. It's very adaptable. It's very changeable, if you see what I'm saying. Absolutely. Now, now is is it the same group of players? You've played with the same players consistently, or has it been kind of a rotating cast of players as well? It's been a rotating cast of players over the last 40 years, yes. Whew. But uh, I have some very dear friends that I grew up with. Sure. That uh, if if they were here, I'm sure they would they would say, Hey, John, when are we playing D&D &D next? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> yes, I am. Uh, uh, I've been very blessed here in Phoenix. Uh, I attend many uh, conventions, both in Phoenix, Las Vegas, and Tucson. And uh, I usually run uh, Dungeons & Dragons events at these conventions that are, that are actually set in my fantasy world. But yes. you didn't run one here. Uh, no, I did not. Uh, oh, that's I, a bummer, man. I, I would have played. I am I, sorry about that. I was only able to, because of my work schedule... Uh, Yes, I, I work for CVS Specialty Pharmacies. I work in a call center, and I help people refill their medications. Mm -hmm. But uh, when I, uh, I could only be here for today, for Saturday. Oh, um, I see. So since I was only here for Saturday, um, I, I was unable to make a solid commitment to run a game this time. I did last year, though, and okay. uh, I also run, I run games in other conventions locally, and I... Uh, uh, Brendan, I certainly have plans on running games next year in, uh, for Maricopa, or excuse me, correction, for Leprechaun or Westicon next year. Cool, Absolutely. great, great.
maybe we'll see you there. Maybe we'll play in your game. Yes, absolutely, Benjamin. Thank so, you. I'd be honored. I, I'm always looking for good players who want to who want to have a little fun. I try to make a mix. I, I only want to have just a little bit of fun, though. If it's oh, too okay. much, then it's, you know. It's, well, Benjamin, I try to have a mix in my game of both using your head and solving the puzzle and uh, bash and cash. <laughs> so I try, to, I try to find a good balance between that. And, um, yes, I, I play very extensively. I, I've used all the systems of Dungeons & Dragons, 1st edition through 5th edition now. Uh, I like all the systems. I like Pathfinder as well. I've even used to play a lot with something called GURPS, the gen uh, yeah. generic, generic uh, role-playing role system. Yeah, the, anyway, but uh, I... I always find myself going back to first edition Dungeons and Dragons. First because, edition, huh? Um, wow. There, 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 there's a flexibility there that sometimes the other editions lack. Uh, Elaborate. To, 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 uh, if I can offer just an opinion, I, okay, I know go there. Ahead. I know there are people out there who would scream and yell at me and tell me I'm wrong. But <laughs> in Pathfinder, it actually takes about an hour to really create a first class character to play with. Sure. I think. While in first edition at Dungeons and Dragons, if you're familiar with it, you can create a character in 10 minutes and be ready to play. Yeah. And uh, the, uh, the details can be filled in as you play. Uh, I mean, as you uh, develop your character. Absolutely. Uh, I, found, I find that uh, if, a, if a character is already rich, famous, experienced, and has all these talents and all these skills just at first level, it's very hard to go somewhere. So I find it better to start uh, more modestly, if you will, you sure. know, more, uh, you know, more simplistically at first, second level, and then as you build, develop the skills, develop the talents, develop the the magic use and the you know finding the right magic items. And yes, I try to tailor my magic items for the the players that I have. Like you don't want to give a staff of the magi to a barbarian fighter. <laughs> Unless, of course, the barbarian fighter wants to destroy it, and barbarians get more experience when they destroy magic items. So, I mean, there, there, there are ways to solve almost any situation, mm. and I try to, I try to be flexible. Now, so, are you still running the game? Is still new, new adventures occurring? Well, uh, I yes, I do for conventions. Um, okay, okay. For for over two years, I ran a game here in Phoenix at Imperial Outpost Games in Glendale, Arizona, right on Thunderbird near 49th Avenue. Yeah. I played a game there every week, every Monday night, from uh six, from 5:30 to about 9:30 at night. For two years, almost every Monday night, I think I only missed like three or four Mondays that whole two years. Uh -huh. And I've and just in February of 2016, I had to close it because I I got my new job, which is set in Chandler, and I had to move mm. to Mesa oh, so I geez. could be closer to where I work. Now, if I can find, I, I I have I have a wonderful relationship with the owner of Imperial Outpost Games. His Darren. name is Darren Johnson. Yeah, and I'm sure. If I ever ended up in the area again, and if I could get there quickly from work, I'm sure Darren would say, "Hey, John, when do you want to play another, start another game?" Uh, what I, one of my personal goals, Benjamin and uh, and uh, Brandon, I want to uh, build a new relationship with owners of gaming stores or uh, you know gaming areas in Mesa, Chandler, Tempe, where uh, they would allow me to start running a weekly game again. 
uh, it would have to be after my when my shift ends with my job. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, yes, I hope I can. I hope I can do that over the next few months. Build that kind of a positive relationship that I had with uh, Darren Johnson. I mean, have you have you been to Game Depot in Tempe? I'm sorry, what? Have you been to the Game Depot in Tempe? I have been there only once or twice. I have not yet had the privilege of meeting the owners and the managers there. Um, I, I hope to do that. And uh, there are several other places I've seen, Samurai Comics near uh, Bookman's uh, yeah. on uh, yeah, on Country Club. Uh, but I uh, again, I uh, there are many places I'd like to find out. I'd like to learn more about myself and see who might be interested in me running a first edition Dungeons and Dragons game you know, uh, at one of the local areas. Yes. Solid, solid, yeah. At least that, that uh, I, I keep thinking, I keep thinking that's the plan. <laughs> <laughs> that's the plan? That's the plan. Yeah, they How are you going to do it? I, I have no idea. Right. Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. Uh, sorry. Uh, yes, I even sir. think that the Game Depot, they even have a board where you can, like, put up what you want to run and how many players you're looking for, and, like, uh, it'll help find people for you. Yes. So. I, again, uh, I'd like to meet the, uh, the owners and managers of, say, the GameStop in Tempe. And uh, uh, Tempe or Chandler? I'd like to meet them, talk about possibilities, and see, if, uh, see which uh, weeknight would be good. Again, I, my, my, game, my game that I ran before I moved to Phoenix was also on Monday nights. That was way out in uh, Peoria, Illinois. And, uh, <laughs> the, Peoria. and uh, the, the game store out there was actually entitled uh, Just for Fun. Mm, and, uh, okay, I, okay. I ran a game there for about a year and a half. Then I moved out here to Phoenix. And uh, so it doesn't have to be Monday. But <laughs> so, so tell me, um, with your characters starting off, as you say, modestly, using yes. the, the Dungeons & Dragons sort of like, like a schematic here. Yes. How does that affect the writing that you do? The what? The writing for your novels. Oh, well, my... My novels, I'm again. I've been very blessed. Uh, I have, I have, I try to do both with my novels. A nice local setting, where players would come from a small town, you know, sort of out of the way, farmers or uh, or or hunters, and uh, they would build their skills and then travel to more populated areas, find themselves in more trouble, uh, get get involved with a few of those, a few of those wonderful nobles that everybody either wants to. Uh, impress or slay mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and as time goes on the uh, the challenges improve the um, dare I use the term monsters I mean uh, believe it or not uh, if played properly ten orcs can be fearsome opponents for three or four first-level characters <laughs> oh I believe it and, especially um, in, in first edition I believe that that's 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 right. incredibly challenging I mean uh, uh, and then as you advance, as you build your uh, levels of experience, as you gather magic items, as you become more skilled in your character class, uh, then you start taking on more and more challenging monsters or oh, opponents. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, I managed to build all of this from the local setting that we start all the way up to where uh, eventually you have uh, 20, 25th level characters exploring the whole continent and uh, uh, h helping dynasties r rise and fall. And then we get to do interplanar, interdimensional 
uh, places where you're traveling the astral plane to many different other alternate realities and planes of existence. And all that's represented in your novels as well? Yes. Okay. As a now, matter of fact, yes. Do, do your I, the, the player characters, characters show up in your novels? Yes, occasionally, yes. Okay. And uh, I have, a, a, for, for interdimensional pr travel, and most especially for psionic combat, mental powers, mental powers, mm -hmm. I have developed, I'm really kind of proud of this, I have the Game Masters University uh, place for wizards and anyone with magical talent. They have a sacred mission to explore the multiverse, searching for more uh, interesting games to play. Learn, learn how to play games from all over the multiverse. Now, whether this is a, something as simple as, say, um, say cricket, all the way up to uh, let's play uh, interdimensional thermonuclear war. <laughs> that could be a game. Uh, so yes, the Game Masters University, I, I have the, the students and the professors traveling all over the multiverse uh, looking for new and exciting knowledge through games to improve their skills, their magic, their technology. And uh, I'm, I, in, in one of my books, I have, a, I have, a, I have one, uh, a uh, prof GMU professor, Game Masters University professor, uh, threatening an uh, uh, erring student with uh, being banished to an interdimensional plane where m more people are concerned with sporting events than actually magic, because there is no magic in that plane. I, <laughs> and you know, I, I have the professor saying, I can arrange that very easily. <laughs> so, I wonder um, what plane that would be. <laughs> so tell me, my friend, uh, if, if people want to find your books, where can they find them? They can find their books anywhere on Amazon. You can look me up, John Paul Reed, R-I-E-D. Everybody misspells my last name. They can find my books in um, at my website. Uh, my company is called Palomarin Adventures, LLC. And my uh, website... How do you spell that? Uh, P-A-L-A-M-A-R-A-N. Palomarin Adventures. L uh, and my website is very simply palomarinadventures.com www. and by the way uh, we are we are available on Kindle iBook all through Amazon and my books can be ordered from any bookstore anywhere Barnes and Noble any other bookstore they uh, probably won't be on the shelves but with the ISBN numbers they can look me up and uh, they can order my books from almost anywhere wonderful wonderful and uh, uh, by the way I hope I haven't uh, I've been rattling on away here. I I love my books. I love my stories, and oh, it I, definitely shows through. And I want and uh, Benjamin and uh, good heavens, Brendan. I I want to thank you for uh, indulging me. Oh, it's been a pleasure <laughs> talking <laughs> pleasure. to you, my friend. Thank you for uh, sitting down and uh, having a little conversation with us about D and D, which we all love, and about fantasy gaming, etc. We we really appreciate it. May I add one other thing? Go right ahead. Uh, there are just a couple of people I would like to thank, very special people that have helped me make my books possible. One of them is Patty Holstrand. She is the chairman and CEO of Arizona Publishing Services. Uh, Arizona Publishing helps new authors get published for the very first time right here in Arizona. Two other people I want to mention very quickly, Miss Laura Thompson and Miss Pam Noyes. These two ladies uh, are my uh, beta readers and editors. I write a chapter, I send it to them, they read it, give me ideas, send it back to me. I, I just wanted to thank all of these special people who've made my books possible. 
Wonderful, wonderful. Nice. Well, thank you so much for being on. We really appreciate it. Everybody go check it out on Amazon. And honored to be here, gentlemen. Uh, Benjamin and Pleasure Brendan. To have you. Brendan, Brendan, thank you very, very much. And thank you, John. Enjoy the con. You as well. Sticking with us up to this point. We really appreciate you listening, being the devoted cultists that you are, really just powering through. Let me tell you, there were times at this convention where I felt like I was powering through, and um, that might be apparent from my tone of voice. Maybe a little bit of tension creeping in there. Anyway, as I said, Ben and I will be doing a recap episode where we discuss what happened at both this one and uh, at Crit Hit, you get a little bit of the uh, behind-the-scenes action. Got a little bit of a wrap-up left for you guys, and then we'll see you again next week for Shadowstorm Radio Hour. All right. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Bye. All right. Well, here we are. We're reaching the end of the day, and uh, we've been we've been we've been hitting the leprechaun pretty hard, right, ladies? We've been hitting so the, hard. We've been hitting the leprechaun pretty hard. We smacked that leprechaun around. My, my wow. <laughs> I'm just wondering if they're even going to bother with the leprechaun 43 after the damage we did to leprechaun 42 <laughs> is all I'm saying. I'm just well, like. There'll be tales forever. Yeah, pretty much. We just, it's like fucking Mad Max. Sitting. Mad Max shit. Um, so uh, what, did we, what did we see today, guys? What did you do? Did you guys get to do anything? Did you guys get to take in any panels or did you walk the con? Did you get to see all the booths and shit? Yeah. I bought some cool books. Yeah? What'd you get? I got the Detective Fiction Weekly, Super Science, Western Tales, and then the Drop of Dew RPG. Nice, nice. So, okay, so you got you got Ben Warner's uh, World of Dew RPG, and then you picked up some, some pulp magazines from our buddy Keith yes. over here. Uh, what's what's the name of, the, of your imprint, Keith? iPulpFiction.com. iPulpFiction.com. Now, um, we're going to have Keith on at another time to really talk about his project. Yeah. Uh, it's very exciting, and I really like the product, and I think that you guys are too. So he'll be on He'll be on at another time. Because he's, he's a local guy. He's a local guy. He's not too far from where Full Metal RPG makes its home. And while, um, you know, uh, Pulp... Pulp Fiction isn't necessarily like uh, right in the role-playing wheelhouse. I think it's close enough that a lot of you guys will be interested in hearing about this. I, I certainly know I am. Pulp Fiction um, is really good, actually, to to pull from for making your own stories as yeah? a GM. Yeah, because a lot of them are really adventure-based. Mm-hmm. So you can adapt them to all sorts of settings. Um, you know, D and D fantasy vampire type stuff. I mean, you had a, a noir type story in your mm. Iron GM. Yeah, that's so, true. Yeah, I, I mean, that's why I think Pulp is fun. <laughs> yeah, no, no, Pulp is great. Pulp is great. What you got there? Oh, it's some business cards. You're getting some business cards. Getting my my finds together. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. I I actually purchased something from the the same company that you did in the paper bag. What what's that company called? So I can plug them on there real quick. Black Umbrella Industries. Oh, oh you I, guys. I got a, a very cool um, laser cut Godzilla ornament. 
Yeah, yeah, they've got great stuff over there. They've got really great stuff. I picked up a uh, vinyl sticker of the little alien guy that comes out of the guy's stomach and at the end of the Spaceballs movie and does the dance. <laughs> nice. It's for my car. Oh, ah. there you You're go. going crazy with your stickers on your car. Oh, shush. Like It's like it's going to be like one of those weird conspiracy theory cars pretty soon, but not conspiracy theories. It's just like them. Yeah, it's going to have cool stuff on it, not conspiracy theories. Not like Hello Kitty. It's not, it's not for no. That will not be. <laughs> Maybe. I mean, I mean, why not? No. It's not gonna, that doesn't work with my band stickers. Goodbye, anyway. Kitty. <laughs> yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> what, about you, what about you, Heather? What did you do with the con? I did not buy anything. <laughs> what did you participate in? Huh? What did you participate in? Nothing. <laughs> 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 As a true in- introvert, I sat around and felt miserable. Not, not miserable. <laughs> she, she trolled <laughs> the con. Kidding. Just kidding. I sure, did troll sure. it. I sure. told it hardcore. When she when she's when she says just kidding, that means uh, I wasn't kidding, but I'm trying to make you feel better. <laughs> I wasn't miserable. I did some writing because that good. was that's kind of important. And Amanda, you got some art done over there. I saw. I huh? did some drawing. Yes, I did. did I drew a thief. Cool, cool. It's good. Good picture. <laughs> and I uh, was editing some episodes because I had plenty of time on my hands to do that with. Cool. Yeah. Cool. It's important for you. <laughs> we're missing. We're missing out on the filk. <laughs> we're missing out on the Puppet Jam. Puppet Jam at 10 p.m. Yeah, for puppet, some reason. We're missing out on the Puppet Jam. All right. Well, anybody have any closing thoughts at Leprechaun 42 2016? Anybody? Um, anybody? I just want to say these little cons are good for getting a feel for the independent stuff that's going on around you. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. For, We've met yeah. a lot of cool locals here. We have yes. definitely met a lot of cool locals. Oh yeah, right? yeah. I talked to people. That was kind of cool. People mm-hmm. that did the the. I just talked to Keith actually. <laughs> I talked to him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Keith's cool. Uh, John Reed was cool. Ben Warner's cool. We made a lot of cool contacts here. Just people who are involved in the scene. I think made made some. As 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 I was talking to the to the ladies who do the um, the laser cutting and the, that that's cool too. Yeah, we're kind of. I'm kind of hoping maybe there might be some like Full Metal RPG vinyl stickers coming, you know, for your car, stickers <laughs> would be or for your, you know, for your your laptop. Yeah. Or for your. For your school books. For <laughs> <laughs> there, there you go, Brendan. Get the black umbrella to laser cut you a Full Metal RPG for for your car. For my well, then I'd have to stick it to my car. How would I stick it? How how would I adhere it to my vehicle? <laughs> well, do it an ornament. So you can put it over your. Your rearview mirror. Oh, okay. That's not a bad idea. That's not a hazard or anything. <laughs> 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 All right, guys. Well, I guess it's time to come to that sad time where we just start breaking it down, huh? You guys ready to break it down? Yeah. Goodbye, All right. Leprechaun. Goodbye, Leprechaun. Thanks for having us. Goodbye, Leprechaun. Have a, <laughs> have a good night. <laughs> Before we let you go, we would just like to thank Legion for the use of Abyssal Plains and our friends in Los Angeles Blowed for the use of Stockholm Syndrome, Worm, and You Die Tonight. Thank you very much, fellas. That's all used with permission. Full Metal RPG is available on iTunes and SoundCloud. Feel free to drop by and give us a rating. We'd love to get one. It does help. Thanks again for listening. Shout out to Radio Hours next week. Have a good night.